Involvement with the criminal justice system is life-changing. It matters. Having a justice system that works is a really important part of a democratic society. I'm Penelope Gibbs, Director of Transform Justice. I'm Rob Allen. I've worked in and around criminal justice all my career. This is the Transform Justice podcast. Throwing light on the criminal justice system. Hearing from people who know. It's about whether the system's fair. And what can be done to make it better. Hello and welcome to today's Transform Justice podcast. We'll be discussing why finding somewhere decent to live is so important in supporting people to move on from crime. I'm joined by my co-host, Rob Allen, and by two people who are passionate about this subject. Edwina Grosvenor, prison philanthropist, and Steve Gallant, a former prisoner who helped set up Own Merit, an innovative housing project for people leaving prison. Rob, looking at housing and particularly those who are being released from prison in England and Wales, what is the general picture? Where do prisoners go? Well, it's not a very clear picture. Uh, The Ministry of Justice say about half of people leaving prison have settled accommodation, which presumably means half don't have settled accommodation. And of those, about 10% actually have nowhere to go. They're homeless. That's quite high. Yeah, it is high. And we've, we've heard quite shocking stories of people being given tents when they're released from prison, recognising they've nowhere to go and they'll have to camp for a while, which seems extraordinary in the fifth or sixth richest country in the world. Edwina, why do so many women prisoners leave prison without having any roof over their head? You know, it's a complex issue, isn't it? And there's so many reasons. We have to start looking at the gendered nature of violence. And I think we need to certainly put front and centre domestic violence. A lot of women's homes, and certainly some men too, but we know disproportionately affects women and their children. Their sort of home is a war zone. So a lot of women won't want to go back to abusive homes or they were homeless in the first place. Steve, why did your fellow prisoners find it so hard to get housing when they came out? I think they're just a lack of uh, resources placed into providing somewhere to live for people on release from prison. Some of it comes down to stigma. I think um, housing associations perhaps don't want to guarantee housing for this cohort of people uh, when other people need it. And I think if they was to prioritise prison leavers, I think that it would catch the attention of certain media and it wouldn't go well. Also, you know, some people don't have housing at all, but then for some people there's housing provided, but it's not housing you'd want to put anyone in. So for a lot of women, it might be a mixed hostel or something and women won't feel safe going there even if they're safe men um, but often they're not safe men so women will choose to remain homeless so it's not just about having the roof over your head it's about having a, a roof over your head that you'd want to be under and of course you have slum landlords and particularly with the women as well we hear all sorts of stories about landlords saying well I'll let you off your rent if you do me x y and z sexual favors um, if women have their children with them then that obviously comes into their decision making about where they are as well. So Steve, what what about you? I know you left prison in in quite unusual circumstances in a way, but did you find it hard to get somewhere to live when you came out? Well, my situation is quite unique. I was on something called the National Security Division, um, which is a unit which uh, manage 
people who have been convicted of terrorist offences and who were also higher risk. It was just unusual that I ended up on this unit, even though I was only a medium risk. So I was placed in a hostel on release for six months. And six months is quite a long time. It's, it's a good time to stabilise. But even without that, I think I've been preparing for release a long time. I had a lot of support around me. So my situation, I think, would have been okay anywhere. As it happens, there was this buffer zone for me, which allowed me enough time to go on and find somewhere to live. So you were you spent some time in a hostel and they helped you find somewhere long-term to stay? I found myself somewhere to move on to. But when I was in the hostel, I, I was around other guys who were actually higher risk, but they, they had like a three-month limit to how long they could stay in that hostel, uh, which I didn't think was a very long time given some of these guys had some serious issues to deal with. And I felt some of them were at risk of reoffending just from what I'd observed myself. But it was clear that there was not enough long-term support put in place for these people because some of them were getting released into homelessness and you know, they were asking if they could stay in the hostel longer. And that wasn't possible. The hostel just couldn't hold them any longer than those three months. In fact, some were removed uh, before that that three months and somewhere were moved into homelessness. Not everybody. Some people managed to find work within that space of time and then luckily find private rented, but somewhere were released into homelessness. So you're seriously saying, Steve, that there are people in your hostel who had been in prison for years and years and years and they had three months or less in the hostel and then they were basically just thrown out to nothing. It was obvious that people were were leaving without nowhere stable to stay. I mean, whether or not they were camping at a friend's house or had found somewhere to put their head down, I'm not 100% certain about that, but there was definitely not going into anywhere stable in the long term. Edwina, obviously having a, somewhere to stay is is absolutely essential if people are going to kind of reintegrate, but what what are the specific risks that come from being homeless in terms of reoffending and, and getting into more trouble? Well, I think they're huge, aren't they? We would only have to think about ourselves and our own lives. And if we didn't have a home to go to, and you just sort of only have to think about that for about 10 seconds to quickly realize that everything would go wrong. So what we see a lot with the women is that if they are street homeless, which is different to obviously sort of sofa surfing, you know, a lot of these women are vulnerable. They might be taking drugs. There are unscrupulous men out there who are interested in them for all sorts of different reasons. And then, of course, a lot of the women I've worked with in prisons over the last 20 years, they will say, I would rather be in prison. I'm safer here. I've worked with women who, at the end of their sentence, they know what crime they're going to commit so that they're going to be put back in prison because they're safer. The governors of the women's prisons will say, Edwina, I could take these walls down. Most of these women will stay. Now, some people misinterpret that as, oh, it must be because prison's a holiday camp. No, it's not because of that. It's because the community represents such an incredibly dangerous, scary place for women. They would much rather be inside the prison than on the streets, which is a, a horrific indictment really on, on where we are as a society. Steve, is that the case for people that you met and saw? Yeah, I mean, there are people, I think, who are probably just as much at risk by being in the community, uh, particularly, I think, when you've, got, when you've got issues of substance misuse involved. When I was in prison, particularly in the early days, I remember people used to um, leave prison quite healthy and then a few months later they'd be back, dead skinny, very unhealthy, but their lives had been saved because if they'd have been out there longer, they would have perhaps even found themselves laid in a ditch somewhere. So which is, that's the really sad part about it. 
Exactly. And it's kind of like even that small amount of care that people do get in the prison system, they come out maybe a bit healthier. They've at least had some structure. They've at least had a bit of stability in amongst the chaos, which then leads on to, well, surely we need help in the community. And I get furious because it's like we used to have a community justice system and that's all but completely broken down. And I think this plays so much into this discussion of community justice and support for men and women, either before prison or or when they come out of prison, or if they're just sentenced to, to the community itself. But, you know, there's obviously a lack of housing out there um, across the board, isn't there? And then what is there, as I mentioned before, some people just don't feel safe in, and either because of the landlords being unscrupulous or because the the physical fabric of the building, you just sort of think, well, I wouldn't leave my dog in there. Mm. So, Edwina, do you think the root of the problem is that the the government aren't really willing to pay not just for housing, but the right kind of housing and support for people who've been in prison and come out? Is that the kind of the bottom line, really? Well, I don't think it's sort of as binary as that in a way. I think there's so much that feeds into this and it's not just about providing the housing. So if you take a chaotic drug user and go, there you go, there's a house and it might be the loveliest house they've ever seen in the world. They're not going to stay there. They're not going to necessarily feel safe there. You need staff. You need well-trained staff. You need services. You need probation to be linked in, police to be linked in. You need so much the housing alone is, isn't going to fix the problem. So I think the government needs to look at it through the multidimensional lens. Yeah, I mean, getting all those key elements to work together is, is, is a task in itself, let alone the actual person who's trying to find somewhere to live. Connecting all those pieces up, it's almost impossible. Yeah. And then also, you know, a person's network. We're all human beings. We're social animals. Some people who come out of prison maybe need to sort of leave a group of friends behind. They might need to disassociate themselves from their family if they come from a family that sort of, you know, tends to be in trouble. And so those networks and how do you build those networks? And someone can't be expected to do that by themselves if they've never done it before and if they've never had a healthy group of friends before. And of course, then the job as well, because you need a job you need a house. And if you don't have either of those things, we know that research says that most people are likely just to end up back in trouble quite quickly. So Steve, um, is funding the only barrier? You you mentioned stigma. Is it also the case that even where somebody, as it were, has funding, maybe they have housing benefit or something, that they're, they find it difficult to find housing because of the stigma of, of uh, coming out of prison? Well, yeah, I mean, if you're a private landlord and, and you have a choice between taking somebody who's working, never committed a crime in their life, or somebody who's, who's just come out of prison and, and, and has a criminal record, you're naturally more likely to take the person who's never been in trouble before. So the, the stigma does play into that, and some of that's understandable. When you come out of prison, you don't have um, a history of, of, of renting. You might not have the money. Uh, you might not have to get the references. Uh, so there's all sorts of things that... You know, because of just where you've been, you, you're unable to sort of evidence that you're somebody who could guarantee to pay on a monthly basis. And that's also the case with, you know, with work. People are reluctant to employ people who have been in trouble uh, with the police, but actually some of them turn out to be some of the best workers once you get them in work. But those two pieces, you know, the housing and work are absolutely absolutely crucial. We know that the uh, reoffending rates not only drop down when somebody finds somewhere to live, I think it drops to by 50%. It drops even further when somebody finds himself in work. So Edwina, I, I know you've spent the last few years 
raising money for and building a new residential centre called Hope Street. What is it and, and why did you think it was needed? Yeah, so Hope Street, after so long of fighting with the system and trying to make it a bit better, I thought, how should I spend my time and my money, quite frankly, and what could I do? So because I've particularly worked um, with women in prison over the years, I thought it would be really interesting to see if we could come up with a solution at a county level in the community of being able to divert non-violent, low-risk women away from prison. Because about 70% of women in prison today are in for non-violent, low-risk crimes. So often they end up there because of housing problems. So if you're homeless and you go up against a magistrate, the magistrate might say, well, I need to remand you into into custody. You need to go to prison until your trial date comes. Now, if you have a home, you could be remanded back to your home. But, you know, often that doesn't happen. And the magistrates might end up having to say, well, I'm sorry, I can't give you a community sentence because I can't tag you to your home if you don't have a home. I'm also not going to tag you into your home if your abuser's in your home and if that is an incredibly dangerous thing to do. So there's all these reasons why women in particular get up tariff to prison because of their accommodation side of things. So I thought, what if the magistrates were given an option to be able to say, oh, look, there's somewhere safe that's been thought through that a woman could go with their small children. So Hope Street is that project. It sits over the county of Hampshire So women can be remanded to us whilst they're awaiting trial, or they can be sent to us on a community sentence with a tag around their ankle, if appropriate, or women can come to us from prison if they're eligible for early release, because there's a cohort of women who are stuck in prison today, they're eligible for early release, but they can't leave prison because they don't have a home to be released to. So that's a huge amount of dysfunction right there. (laughs) And so much of it is tied up in the housing and accommodation side of life. It is designed to be replicable and scalable so that if you had Hope Street Cheshire, Hope Street Lancashire, the model would work in the same way. Um, We work hand in glove with probation. Of course, the police are involved in all sorts of elements of what goes on at Hope Street. But ultimately, the magistrates have a place to send women and their children to prevent them from going to prison and ending up homeless. And the prisons also have an option to send women from Hampshire back to Hampshire now. So is your aim to actually reduce the number of women from Hampshire who are imprisoned for whatever reason? Yeah, you know, some people, the judges will send them to prison because that is appropriate and right. However, we know that the vast majority of women in this country are low risk and non-violent, and we need more of a community justice system that actually works. Uh, We have a five-year evaluation running alongside of us that Southampton University and Prison Reform Trust are doing in five years' time. Hopefully, they say, well, Hope Street has reduced the number of women from Hampshire going into prison, and it's also freed up a few prison places because those people who were eligible to come out of prison from Hampshire are now out. And of course, if you had three Hope Streets or four Hope Streets, then very quickly you start seeing how those numbers are being diverted from those different elements of the criminal justice system into safe and appropriate housing. Steve, I know you've set up a project as well. We've worked with um, Darren Frost, who, who tackled Usman Khan with you after he'd murdered two people in Fishmongers Hall back in 2019. You've called your project Own Merit after Jack Merritt, tragically one of Khan's victims, 
Uh, what does your project offer? So we provide accommodation, support within that accommodation, and support with finding employment, giving someone enough time to settle, stabilise, and then after about a year, allow them to move on successfully. We're currently in a situation now where we've got a house and we have currently have four men uh, living in, in that house and hopefully that will reach six by the end of the year. I think it's really important because the ability to reintegrate into society successfully, it, it has all sorts of benefits. It steers people away from crime. It's it's good for public safety. It reduces the impact on society through resources being diverted to places where they don't need to be and, and in a way to places where they do need to be. So I think the benefits of providing somebody with supported accommodation or accommodation on release are, are huge. So how is it different, Steve, from other sorts of accommodation that, that people might have when they come out of prison? So unlike a hostel, we're not staffed 24-7 because we don't want to We don't want to be in people's faces. We want to give a little bit of agency, but we're obviously there popping in, um, seeing the guys, interacting with them. We also have a situation where the guys, they create the rules themselves so that they feel like they have some ownership of what's going on. We're not a specialist. We don't provide people with, for example, um, support with drug misuse. You know, we're very careful about who we select. We have to be. Um, I think if you were to, you know, put, you know, five or six guys in one house and they're all had issues with substance misuse, I think you'd have problems. We don't do that. But, you know, there's plenty of people, you know, come out of prison who, if you just give them a little bit of an opportunity, give them a little bit of a foundation, they will take it and they will move on successfully. But without that, some of them fail and go back and it's just a complete waste of resources. So, Getting those people in is what we're looking at doing, and um, yeah, that's that's pretty much our model. It sounds a little bit like uh, halfway house. That sort of model was quite common in the past. So uh, very interesting to hear you doing that. So, so these are men who presumably, sort of, sadly, have broken relationships with families or maybe partners, and have no old home to go back to. I think it's varied. I mean, they may have become disassociated or dislocated not only from their home or their previous accommodation or their, their family, but maybe from their community or their town. Uh, and some people don't want to go back to their old town or city either. They want to start afresh. I was born and raised in Hull, for example, uh, committed a serious offence many, many years ago, and it made sense for me to probably start afresh. And I think it was the right decision for me. I could have gone back there, but I chose not to. It's not necessarily that people don't want you to come back. You know, my family said to me, look, you know, just do what's right for you. And that's, and that's what I've done. So sometimes it's, it's a positive decision. But by starting afresh, it means you are literally starting afresh. You might not have nowhere to go. So there's a number of reasons why somebody might come into our area and, and choose to stay with the Omeric community. Steve, can I ask you, because women are typically held about 63 miles away from their homes when they get sent to prison. And then there's an issue with housing then when they come out because they need to show a local connection to the area. And if they're from Hampshire, but they've gone to Low Newton up in Newcastle, and then they come out and they're trying to get housing up there. I was just wondering whether you had issues with sort of then relocating to another county and then getting housing. Well, I was fortunate. So I was studying at Oxford Brooks University from an open prison when I was released. And that was my reason for being allowed to move into a different area. It could be tricky, but if you say, look, I don't want to go back to my area for a certain reason, there may be a threat there, there may be a domestic issue there, um, or there may be just a benefit for you to you moving away like there was with me in terms of university. 
there's always a way to justify moving to a new area. And if you can get the support of your probation officer, then all they've got to do is contact the other region and say, we would like this person to move into your region. Sometimes that's a bit tricky, but I don't think I've ever known a case where it's not happened. Edwina, you mentioned you've got an evaluation running of your Hope Street project, but have you got any uh, women living there at the moment? Yeah, so Hope Street officially opened on June the 27th of this year and the Princess of Wales came to open it, which was great. And since then, today we have five women and a baby uh, living there. And we have either women coming from the prisons, coming on remand or being sentenced um, from from the magistrate's court. So we're hoping to obviously up that number At the main building, we have beds for 24 women and their children. There's a creche, there's a detox facility, there's a coffee shop open to the public. And then crucially, we have our own housing pathway. So we have four houses of multiple occupancy currently. Uh, We need to get up to 11 because when we mined the data out of Hampshire, when we were looking at how many women are justice involved and how many women we might need to be providing housing for, that was the number of properties that it looked like we would need. So that means, of course, we're in receipt of the housing benefit, which can go back into the sort of running of the project. And we are hoping to be able to make Hope Street wash its face one day, uh, says me as she waves her magic wand around, um, because we are hoping that through Hope Street, you're driving justice back to the local level. And then you can start pulling on the local commissioning routes, whether it's the police and crime commissioner, whether it's the NHS, because I'm always saying these aren't criminal problems. These are housing problems. These are health problems. And actually, we need to push these issues back into the departments that they belong. And we can't just let criminal justice be the only debate around all of this, because it's it's ludicrous, quite frankly. Can I, can I ask a question, Edwina? Is your demand for your places in Hope Street, is it higher than what you can provide for? Um, No. So we've got five women and a baby in Hope Street at the minute. So we have beds for 24. We're obviously not wanting to speed up the number of people coming in too much. It's still early days, isn't it? It's still early days. So we don't want to run before we can walk. The interesting thing about the courts is that's quite slow because, of course, women don't come up against the magistrates in the numbers that um, men do. There's a huge amount of women that need to come from prison, but they come with different issues. So we don't want to bring too many out of prison all at once. You know, so there's loads of different variables um, going on. But those houses of multiple occupancy that we will bring online are sort of six to eight beds. So that will either be 66 or 88 women in that housing pathway, as well as the main building that we have in Southampton. So once we're up and swinging in its entirety, Hope Street will be able to um, provide beds for just over 100 women. But then, of course, we can work with women who don't need accommodation as well. You mentioned that you had uh, a baby in Hope Street at the moment, and that's presumably quite challenging to accommodate children as well as parents. But surely the state steps in. You know, surely if a woman leaves um, prison and has children, doesn't the state provide housing automatically for them? Well, you'd think so, wouldn't you? But uh, <laughs> I think we've all been in this game long enough to know that lots of things should happen that maybe don't happen. So we have designed Hope Street with children and babies in mind. It has been designed in a trauma-informed, gender-specific way. So I would say that the building is perfectly equipped and well-designed for babies, children to be with their mothers. Mm. I mean, these both sound like uh, really promising initiatives and, and hats off to you both for 
getting them going. But can I play devil's advocate and just ask, isn't there a risk if you house a lot of people who've been in trouble in the past, put them all together in one establishment that they might lead each other astray, get into more trouble? Is that something that you try and guard against and take some measures to prevent? Yeah, so I I see what you're saying and I think it's, um, you know, <laughs> a valid comment, but I would say that keeping people in prison together is criminogenic. You know, there is evidence that people will go to prison and come out and sort of do worse things than maybe they, they'd done before. So, so that is an issue. I think it has to be monitored carefully. I think you need to get the right mix of people under one roof for sure. But I think just as much as people can be a bad influence on each other, people can be a good influence on each other. I think that peer support is really important. I think there's something about people understanding each other and they've all kind of, you know, experienced a similar thing. I think there is something about the financial aspect of resources. And if you're providing local services to a group of people under one roof, then that can have benefits. And, you know, sometimes what we find with the women is, particularly when there's children involved, someone's out, can you look after my children? There's a sort of something that can happen where they all start relying on each other. And actually, we also know that people don't just need networks and friends and roofs over their heads, but they need a purpose in life. So I think there are some um, incredibly positive things that can come out of it. But but yeah, nothing's without risk. And I think um, as long as you're thoughtful and you sort of know what you're doing uh, <laughs> and slightly cross your fingers and hope for the best. Steve, is that something you've thought about in your project? Well, I think there's always risks with everything you do. And I think, you know, but there's just as much risk with these people being in the community with nowhere to live as well. Uh, so I don't think it necessarily means that just because you put them together that they go, they're going to increase their likelihoods of reoffending or doing something wrong. I think also, there's when you've got guys that are together, they have an understanding of each other's situation and they can help each other with certain things. You know, obviously we, for example, as I said earlier, wouldn't put you know, six guys in there who are all struggling with addiction. I think you've got to mix it up. As our marriage stands at the moment, we've got guys in there who are keen to support each other. So no, I, I don't think it's I don't think it's necessarily going to heighten risk. Steve and Edwina, both of yours are basically, at the moment, single projects. They sound amazing, but is there not a risk that they are just amazing, single, well-funded, great projects, which the wider system completely ignores because it works so completely differently? Do you mind, Steve, if it's just one good project? Well, our aim is to prove our model and build on it if we can. Of course, we want it to be successful. And, you know, if that could grow into other cities, that'd be amazing. And then that would be the ultimate goal. Yeah, you're right. There are other great projects out there that have not been taken on. And it's it's quite unusual because, yeah, if it already exists out there and they know it works, why are they not doing it? And that's just, maybe that's the phenomenon of our society. But all you can do is you can keep trying. And the other way is to give up, I guess, and, and just allow people to be left homeless and, and, and struggling and God knows what else and, and ultimately creating a worse society because that's what will happen. What we're seeing now is we're seeing that homelessness uh, following release is a serious issue and it's it's making society less safe rather than more safe. And I think that's what it comes down to ultimately is is that no one's benefiting. Edwina, do you want the Hope Street model to be taken on maybe by the government? 
Yeah, I mean, <laughs> it was quite hard work just to get uh, the building in Southampton open and up and running. So, you know, we've still got a long way to go to get Hope Street, Hampshire fully up and swinging in the way that it was designed to be. But, you know, we're out of the starting blocks now. Um, yes, absolutely. I completely hear what you're saying. This might just be a flash in the pan. Might the government adopt it? Well, maybe not. Uh, I have thought all of that through and I think, well, if I just have proved something incredible in Hampshire and it doesn't go anywhere else, well, that's bloody great. Excuse my French. Um, the women from Hampshire will have something amazing. The magistrates will have something amazing. You know, I would still be able to sleep at night. The thing I'd have a problem with is the fact that it has been philanthropic money that I've been raising in order to get this pilot off the ground. And I have said to funders and trusts and foundations, well, you know, this is in a view to prove a concept and roll it out because I'm interested in changing a system. I don't like twiddling around the edges. So we'll see, but you've got to be incredibly patient and you've just got to be good at banging your head against a brick wall. You've got to be across policy. You've got to be influencing politicians. You've got to be tracking legislation. You know, there's a lot of hustling that needs to be done, but certainly it would be something that I would like to prove. And I would certainly like to get the model rolled out in into, into other counties. Well, we certainly wish you all the best with both of your initiatives and look forward to hearing how they go. Sadly, we've got to close here. It's a it's a, an interesting topic. It's a complicated topic. Uh, and what I'd like to finish by is asking each of you, if, if you were Prime Minister and had the opportunity to do one thing to try to prevent people coming out of prison becoming homeless what would that one thing be Edwina one thing that's difficult (laughs) but what I would say is that you know it's sending people to prison that shouldn't be there which is increasing our homelessness problem so therefore for me it's about rebuilding and really building our community justice system and providing alternatives to custody so that magistrates actually have an option as opposed to sending people to prison and then increasing the problems with with homelessness. Okay, and Steve? I would legislate, I would make it law that no person leaving prison should uh, do so into homelessness. So I'd make it law to, to enforce all local services to provide some form of housing, whatever that is, to people leaving prison. Rob, what would you do if you were Prime Minister? Well, I think I agree with, with, with each of those. I would say, I think during the COVID pandemic, we did make some progress because the government didn't want people to be homeless. And there was some quite imaginative thinking during that period. I'm not sure it's been maintained into the post-COVID period. So I think it needs much greater priority in all the different bits of government, central and local, that are involved in the issue. Thanks, Rob, Edwina and Steve. And if you'd like to find out more about the fantastic Hope Street and Own Merit projects, do look at our programme notes. And if you've got any ideas for future podcasts, do drop us a line. Thanks and goodbye. Goodbye. Bye. Thank you.